Brilliant. Well, this is the second in our Game of Thrones series, exploring uh, the games that we all play around identity and power and uh, destiny and purpose. And last week, Glenn Packiam brilliantly launched the series, thinking about being sons and daughters, children of the king. Uh, if you didn't hear it, you've got to listen online. It was just fantastic teaching. And um, we're going to move now from thinking about being sons of the king to being servants of the king. Let me just do a little disclaimer. Uh, this series is not endorsing Game of Thrones uh, as such. It's a, a, a smash hit for HBO. Everyone's talking about it. It's on the side of London buses. It's everywhere, I know. But I do know the number of people have got quite into the series and, and uh, actually have said to me, we felt quite challenged uh, by God to stop watching because of the amount of, uh, of uh, sexual immorality and violence. And I just love that. I've actually just another disclaimer. I've, I've not even watched an entire episode. I just I just name teaching series after things I have no idea about. But um, <laughs> but it is a useful metaphor for um, the Christian worldview, which is that there is a game of thrones between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness, and we're caught up in that battle for lordship, supremacy, and dominion. And uh, so we're exploring the practical implications of Christ's kingship in our daily lives. And that means that if you sometimes struggle uh, with insecurity or uh, the fear of missing out, if you are asking questions about your calling and purpose and destiny, uh, if you are looking for a more radical Christian experience and impact on the world, then I hope this series will speak directly into some of the questions that you are asking, because the truth is that our entire lives will be more fruitful, more fulfilled, if we really truly can get our heads around who Jesus is as the King and our relationship to him as sons and daughters, servants, and so on. And that'll affect everything. And Perhaps it's significant to be thinking about uh, this theme at the end of such a tumultuous week in British uh, politics. I, I'm acutely aware that there are probably people uh, in this room, people listening online as well, who uh, uh, feel that uh, through, through, through the general election that either the nation has just been saved for the next five years financially or has been sentenced to social injustice for the next five years. I'm not going to ask you to indicate, uh, but it's no bad thing to regather at the end of a week like this as the people of God and remind ourselves that our hope was never in politics, important as politics are, but is ultimately in the kingdom manifesto of Jesus Christ. Politics have a part to play as to education and creativity and all sorts of other things, but ultimately we, we, we honour the political and financial systems, but we we do not put our trust in it because the truth is that the Tories probably will not screw things up quite as much as some of you think, and the Labour Party would not have sorted out quite as much as some of you think. The truth is that our hope is ultimately in Jesus Christ. And whilst the election of David Cameron as Prime Minister matters, of course it does, your election as a servant of God matters infinitely more to the people with whom you do life and with whom you work. Amen? So let's do the Jesus Manifesto. So we're going to look at one of the most radical passages in the Bible. It is inspiring and challenging. And I want to ask your permission today. You know, we are big on grace. 
We, 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 we recognize everyone is just, we're all carrying our own baggage. And, and the love of God uh, is supreme. Uh, but I'm going to ask your permission because I believe this is biblical to challenge you today. And uh, we're about to look at one of the most challenging bits of the Bible, in my opinion. And if, if you're in that space, that headspace right now of thinking, to, mate, I did well just to get to church today then just dial down a bit. Just have a slightly, yeah, whatever. He's drunk a lot of coffee. In fact, if you're thinking, I did well to get out of bed this morning, you know, just well done. You've already passed whatever test it is you've got going on in your head right there. Uh, But if you're there thinking, I want to be challenged, I'm going to challenge you. So Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. Let's go. Philippians chapter 2. Paul writing from prison. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Wow. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Ouch. (laughs) Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset (laughs) as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Some of you will know the story about the extraordinary revival that broke out in one of the unlikeliest places on earth, in a Japanese prisoner of war camp amongst uh, British military personnel during the Second World War trying to build uh, a railway line under impossible circumstances, the Burma-Siam railway line. They estimate that some 80,000 men died building that railway line. It's 393 corpses per mile. It was the toughest place that you could possibly have been imprisoned during the Second World War. At a a level of of, of sort of um, sacrifice that we can hardly imagine. And a movie, of course, was made, Bridge Over the River Choir, a classic movie about it. But uh, many of you will know that there was also a book and then later a movie, Miracle, uh, on the River Kwai, made into the movie To End All Wars, starring Kiefer Sullivan. And it talks about the revival that happened in this prisoner war camp, where certain soldiers lived by Philippians 2 in the toughest environment you can imagine. 
They lived, get this, sacrificially. They put others first. They laid down their life. One of them literally, I'm not trying to shock you, but literally was crucified because his level of humility was such that he so outraged the guards, they literally crucified him. And, and one of the stories that probably captures it more powerfully than any others is that one about the end of a working day and all the soldiers were lined up and the guard counted up and discovered that one of the shovels was missing. And he, he, he said to the prisoners, who stole the shovel? And no one admitted to it. And he asked again, no one admitted to it. And then, by all accounts, these are first-hand accounts, he began to scream at them, all die, all die, all die. And he picked up his gun and pointed it at the first one in the line, and you could tell he was going to shoot down the line until someone admitted. And at that moment, just before he squeezed the trigger, one of the soldiers, one of the Christians leading the revival, stepped forward and in a clear voice said, I did it, I stole the shovel. And the guard just fell upon him in just a frenzy and began to beat him and he managed to stay standing. And that made things worse. And then there's this moment where the, the guard apparently picked up his rifle and with the butt just brought it down square on the guy's skull and he crumpled to the ground and died. And as you may know, a little bit later, they recounted and discovered that they'd just miscounted. <laughs> no, 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 nothing had been stolen. That man had laid down his life. Greater man, greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. On this 70th anniversary of VE Day, it may be worth remembering. And that attitude by that man is exactly the heart of the Christian walk. That Jesus Christ, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but laid it down, emptied himself, kenosis, the Greek there, just emptied himself of all the status and power. And the creator became created, an incontinent, inarticulate child dependent upon one of his created beings. And then finding himself as a human, he didn't dwell in palaces, but he kept climbing down the ladder, serving, washing feet in a culture where you walked in sandals behind horses on dirty tracks, and ultimately humbled himself to death on a cross, naked in the flies of the Middle East. This is our God. This is the one whose sacrifice has changed our lives and to whom we have with glorious foolishness pledged our allegiance to walk in his footsteps. That means the call upon each one of us, if we are followers of Jesus, is to empty ourselves daily, to lay down our lives daily, to serve others continually. The call in this game of thrones, not to dominate, not to grasp for status, but to serve. Now, of course, for most of us generally, that's a little bit less dramatic than it was on the River Kwai or for Jesus on the cross. It's hundreds of daily decisions 
to sacrifice ourselves in very practical and often invisible ways. I'm going to preach to myself here, to load the dishwasher, to not, I'm going to so regret this later in the day, not, you know, not, not to show off when there's something you could say that you think might impress the other person, just not to say it, just, just don't. To let the other person out in the traffic when you're in a hurry. Literally, Mike Stanbrook is grunting his level of conviction there. <laughs> Either that or he's been trying to get out in the traffic and I've been driving. To listen to people well. What a great service that is, to really listen well. Martin Luther says, a Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. A Christian is also the most dutiful servant of all and subject to all. It's just not easy, is it? And, and even with this whole service thing, our motives get so easily confused and mixed. I remember one time I, I met a guy in a pub in Essex and found out that he owned a 50% share in a twin prop plane. He was a hobby pilot. I was very impressed by this and quite keen to have a go in his plane. <laughs> and so uh, I suddenly remembered it was Sammy's birthday coming up. I said, look, we were living in Chichester at the time. I said, we've got an airfield near us, Goodwill, Goodwood Airfield. Can I persuade you? Is there any chance? Do you ever come down our way at all? No, not really. Well, here's an idea for you. Why don't you come down to Goodwood Airfield? And then maybe as a surprise, a treat for my wife on her birthday, we could get in the plane. I'll pay your petrol. He said, it doesn't quite work like that. I don't have a commercial pilot. I said, okay, whatever. But, and then we could do a quick lap of the Isle of Wight. Surprise for her for her birthday. Who thinks that's a nice thing for a husband to do? Yeah, thank you so much. So I felt like this was a big, you know, a big deal. And he's, he's this guy, Phil. He's become my friend since, remarkably. Um, so he, he came down. And, and it was only on the day that I was going off to Goodwood Airfield to, 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 to meet him. I remember that Sammy hates flying. Right? <laughs> She just, it's like her worst. And, and, the, and that's in big planes, let alone little ones that kind of bounce around on the thermals. So my like, happy birthday moment. I it was just deeply selfish. Like, so so I, I realized that the way to bless my wife was for her not to come flying that day and me to go and enjoy it on her behalf. So I, I, enjoy, I, I celebrated her birthday for her, which I, you know, was very godly and kind and nice of me, obviously. Even when we're trying to serve, our motives get pretty mixed, don't they? Even our acts of service can be subtly selfish. That's, that was the problem with the Pharisees. It wasn't the Pharisees did good, didn't do good things. The, the Pharisees were the good guys, but they did it with a wrong attitude, an arrogance, a self-righteousness. You know, my observation is most marital arguments are Game of Thrones arguments. They're about power who's in control, who's going to get their own way. My experience in trying to raise kids and feeling like a failure most of the time at that is that it's about very gradually, incrementally relinquishing power, especially when they get into their teens. How much power do I give and how quickly should we seed that? How on earth then do we have this same attitude as Christ Jesus? It, it, it seems to me that we don't just need to try a bit harder, but we need Christ to do a deep work within us so that it's not just a few of our actions that are servant-like, but that our attitude is 
profoundly humble. We're told in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, the same attitude as Christ. So hard. There's a lovely story about Billy Graham getting off a, a pl- an aeroplane and being picked up by a stretch limo to go somewhere or other. And, and, and uh, the, the, uh, Billy Graham said to the chauffeur, look, I've done most things in my life, but I've never driven a stretch limo and I've always secretly wanted to. Would you mind like hopping in the back and letting me drive? The chauffeur said, yeah, whatever, you're Billy Graham, you can do anything you want. So Billy Graham puts on the little hat and starts driving, drives, drives off, tinted windows, and he's so excited he started accelerating past the speed limit. And he get, got pulled over by the police. And so the, the policeman comes and knocks on the window, the, the, the window goes down, and the policeman sees it's Billy Graham. And he's a little freaked. He's thinking, like, do you bust Billy Graham? So he steps back and he radios his boss. He says, boss, I've got a situation here. I've, I've caught a guy speeding. I don't know what to do. The boss says, well, you bust him. He says, yeah, but it's a VIP. He says, well, who is it? He goes, well, I don't know who's in the car, but I think it must be God because he's got Billy Graham driving for him. <laughs> Our world measures status in such stupid ways. Who's your chauffeur? <laughs> what car do you drive? How do you look? Are your boobs the right size? Are your kids achieving? Tiger mom, you know. How weird to derive a sense of status out of how your children are doing. What's that all about? The busyness of your schedule. Oh, I'm terribly busy. Oh. You don't ever get anyone go, actually, I've not got a lot on. <laughs> Frankly, my, my time's undercommitted. <laughs> Profoundly available. <laughs> no one ever says that. It's like, I, I, I'm terribly busy, terribly busy. I've got to go to the hairdresser tomorrow. I'm busy, you know. <laughs> and so we have these voices around us all the time in the culture saying, prove your status, prove your worth. Impress. And if we're honest, it's not just out there in the culture, in advertising and education. It's deeply internal to do with the way we were raised, perhaps, and what worth is derived from, and our own ego drive, as Freud would talk about it. This thing, I've got to make my mark in the world. I need significance. I need security. And we're driven decision to decision, neural pathways getting formed around this thing of, I have got to be in charge of my life, and I've got to make a mark in the world, and I've got to impress. And into this, God drops this bomb of self-revelation. You've got it all wrong. At the heart of the universe is a trinity. It's God preferring God, preferring God, the Father to the Son to the Holy Spirit, living in perpetual self-giving and preference of the other. God, even within the heart of the Trinity, humble. Long before Jesus came, we had God, a humble God. You'd think God could be the most kind of, well, he's not allowed to be proud, but whatever other word you use, he's God. But he's humble. You you want to know why God doesn't continue to send angels and kind of go in and like zap people. It's partly because he's kind and partly he's just humble. He doesn't kind of like the limelight, and he's God. 
we see this in, in science. The heart of creation is, at an atomic level, a proton is attracted to a neutron. We see this in society. A, a man is attracted to a woman. A woman is attracted to a man, and together children are born. It is not through competition but cooperation that the world actually works at the heart of the universe. The principle that makes it all work is not getting but giving. It's not fighting for your rights. It's about surrendering your lives. That's why Ready for Action was so much fun. Chopping off rats' heads with flymos. <laughs> Clearing out 26 tons of rubbish. Helping some lady who's not slept in her own bed for three years to love her apartment. Because Jesus says it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's why Ready for Action is so much fun. That's why what the guys are doing, going to be doing in Ibiza is so fun, because they are going to be mopping up puke and, and, and laying down their lives for others, because it is more blessed to give than to receive. And our example, as I say, is Jesus, who made himself nothing and took the very nature of a servant. Now, the word there for servant is doulos, and doulos was the lowest form of slave, really. And interestingly, all of the apostles picked up this term as self-description. Okay? They're not going around going, yeah, I'm pretty important, really. I'm, I'm busy writing the Bible, you know. So you get the, the apostle Paul, Romans 1, verse 1. He says, I am a doulos of Christ. I am a, you can even hear it in the word, I'm a doulos. Just turn to the person next to you and go, you're a doulos. Come on, just do it. Just say it. Doulos. The Apostle Paul, I'm a doulos of Christ. The Apostle Peter says the same thing, 1 Peter 1 verse 1, I am a doulos of Christ. The Apostle James says the same thing, James 1 1 1, I'm a doulos of Christ. I'm a, I'm a servant. I'm the lowest kind of servant. In fact, I tell you this, a doulos was a bond servant. Now here's the deal with bond servants. Bond servants were the servants who had decided to be servants. And uh, let, let me explain. Exodus chapter 21. We, let's have the next slide up here. There's a picture there of a guy with a stretcher in his ear. Let me explain. Exodus 21, verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and I don't want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges, and he shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he'll be a servant for life. So Adulos was someone who had said, I love my master and I actually want to serve him. And so here, and would stick his big flabby uh, earlobe next to a wooden door and they would pierce his ear. And that ear piercing was a symbol that he was a doulos. And so as Christians, we are called to be doulos, to say, just pierce my ear. I, I, I so love my master, I want to serve Jesus. It's because he served us that we serve him, because he loved us, we love him back. All of this is grace, all this is the overflow of loving relationship. And Psalm 40, verse 6 to 8, 
you have a reference to this. The psalmist says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears, now in NIV it says, you have opened, but the word is actually, my ears, you have pierced. Burnt offerings, sin offerings you didn't require. So I said, here I am, I've come. It's written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. My ear you have pierced. Bulos. I think it's so important that we resolve this issue of Christ's kingship and our servanthood. Who is on the throne of our lives? That that that. We are not about how much we can get out of life, but how much we can give. Bluntly, on the last day at our own funeral, say, the mark of your life will not be your CV. No one will be standing reading out your CV or what level you got to corporately or announcing how much money you earned. What people will be interested in is how many people are in that building weeping, saying, They lived in such a way as to change my life. And the way you change people's lives is to love them and to serve them. In heaven's economy, that is status. And I think we struggle with this because rightly we preach the gospel as just it's pure good news. Of course it is. Come to Jesus. He'll forgive you your sins. He'll answer your prayers. You have a relationship with him. You become part of a loving community. You step into your destiny and your purpose. It's just good news. And the trouble is that somewhere along the line, we sometimes, I think, fail to realize that in all this receiving of Christ's service, he calls us to become servants too, like him. And so even becoming a Christian can be an act of selfish ambition. (laughs) and we're told to lay that down. I had to do this at a particular time in my life, very, very significant moment, where I realized that I was busy being a Christian, doing my best, but I was fundamentally quite selfishly motivated in so many of my thoughts and actions and deeds. And worse, that I'd learned how to make it look humble (laughs) and godly, then you're in real trouble, when even pride you can make look humble. It's called Phariseeism. And God just had to do some surgery on me, some soul surgery. And I remember I went, I climbed up the North Downs, not far far from here. And I remember I knelt down by a particular bench and I'd written out this covenant saying to God, do whatever you need to do to get my heart right. Just resequence my DNA. I, I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life trying to be a good Christian. I want you to do something so deep within me that's who I am. And if it, if it means that I never achieve anything. It means I never get married. If, if, if it means that, that you know, I never achieve status, so be it. I just want to be like you. And it, it was one of the most scary prayers I'd ever prayed. And I, I've still got the bit of paper I signed. I called it my soul covenant. I've still got that bit of paper. Whatever. I'm just going to die here. And sometimes we need that deep level of soul surgery because we're called to have the same attitude as Christ. Can I, I said I was going to be challenging, and I told some of you just dial this down if you're not in a space for this, but let me just say this to you. If your faith isn't costing you something, it's probably not worth very much. It's not that God doesn't love you and value you, but 
Jesus did say, pick up your cross and follow me. He did say, if someone asks you for your, you know, one bit of clothing, give them another bit. If they ask you to walk one mile, walk two. I mean, these are the words of Jesus. They are to us. And so, is your faith costing you credibility? Or is that a status that's non-negotiable for you? What does that mean? Well, do your friends at work know that you're a Christian? Or, or maybe they do, but you only let them know once you know that that will be a positive thing for them. What if you've got a boss who hates Christians and it might cost you promotion? Do you dare say, but that's me. I'm a follower of Jesus. What about your lifestyle? Are you living simply? You know, if there isn't some simplification of your material situation because you're a follower of Jesus, then perhaps there's a lack of redemption in your finances. When the world is full of such poverty and our own Lord lived so simply. Are there secrets in your relationship with God? I don't mean sinful ones, I mean godly ones. Things that you do that only God will ever know that you did, which means that you know that you did them for him. Because I don't know about you, I go round and round in circles. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond understanding. And so I think, oh, am I being godly? Am I not being godly? Am I serving? Am I just thinking I'm serving? So I, I kind of get into like, this head melt. But one of the things I know is this, that there are things that I've done and I try to continue to do that no one but Jesus ever knows that I've done. And I love those moments and I treasure them. And I don't, I don't tell Sammy, I don't tell anyone. I tell you why. It's because those are the moments I know, I think I really did this for you, Lord. Here's a stupid one. You go into a toilet cubicle and someone's made a mess. And so your instinct is go into one that's clean. What if the call of a follower of Jesus is to clean that up? I tell you what, no one but a weirdo is ever going to applaud you for that. You'll be a weirdo if you go around saying, oh, you never guess what I just did. Oh, it's extraordinary. <laughs> you know? What difference does it make? Is it someone's job to do it? Yes. But you're a follower of Jesus. You, you just, your impulse is to pour yourself out, to serve, to make things better. You know, Joe from the Vision Course lives with Sammy and me. He's Belgian. He's wonderful. If you haven't met him, it's too late. And he's off, off, <laughs> off to Ibiza. You've missed your opportunity. And Joe, Joe gave me a bottle of the world's best beer. It literally has been voted the world's best beer. In, it's made by Trappist monks. I was aware of this beer before he gave it to me. I've often wondered if, just theoretically, I was a beer drinker. I'm not saying whether I am or I am not, but say I was, this would be the beer that I'd have been particularly keen to have tried at some point in my life. And Joe, just, you just can't buy it, and it's not in the shops. Joe just casually turns up and gives me a bottle. I'm thinking, wow. And, I, I, and I've hidden it in the cupboard because we have all sorts of scoundrels that come around our house and the thought that John Radmal or someone might just <laughs> casually pop it open is beyond, it's hidden away. I've actually promised Scott Barron I'm going to drink it with him and I've so regretted making that promise on a number of occasions. And Joe might well look at that and go, I don't think he liked the present much. He hasn't drunk it yet. He's like stuck it in the back of the cupboard. But actually sometimes the things that are most valuable to us are the most hidden. Just because you're not visible does not mean that you're not valuable. One aspect of servanthood is that we all go through times in our life where we're just not visible. I think being a mum of young children is often at times incredibly difficult spiritually because you become a little bit invisible for a season. But the call to serve can be a call to hiddenness. David was hidden as a shepherd boy. Joseph was hidden in prison. Even Jesus was hidden for 30 years. 
we're called to lay down our striving for selfish ambition and trust that in the right season and in the right way, God will raise us up. So I'd love us just to respond now. It'd be great to get the band back, please. And um, I, I want to just suggest that we might respond in two different ways. For some of us, it's quite a simple challenge today, which is simply to make some choices to live as servants, to lay down some selfish striving. It might be that, for example, God is calling you to give time to people this week. It's one of the greatest services you can ever do, to be available to people. One of the things that's worst about me is often when Sammy or even, I, I'm ashamed to tell you this, even my kids sometimes want to talk to me. I've got my iPad open, my phone's there buzzing. One of the best things I can ever do for Sammy is to say, I'm going to put my iPad over there, walk away from the computer, switch off my telephone. Do you know it's got an off switch? I don't know if anyone knows that. And be fully present with you. It's a kind of service. Maybe, maybe for you, there's a challenge to pray for someone this week. I always think that's one of the most amazing kinds of service because that's a you and God secret. If you've got into the habit of telling people you pray for them and you don't really, then I suggest you're more into the status than the actual act. But if you're really pouring yourself out in prayer privately for people, what an incredible service that is. Is there someone this week that you're called to pray for? Dallas Willard says, if you want to really experience the flow of love as never before, the next time you're in a competitive situation around work or relationships or whose kids are the highest achieving or looks or whatever, pray that the others around you will be more outstanding, more praised and more used of God than yourself. Really pull for them. Rejoice in their success. If Christians were universally to do this for each other, the earth would soon be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. Bless others. And I had a picture earlier of just geocaching. If you don't know what that is, find out. But some of us are called this week to go geocaching, to actually go and set up treasure. That's just between you and God. Like, like anonymous gifts. Take time to pray. Consciously drop round on someone. Send a message to them via Facebook. Find ways of just blessing and serving and giving. So for some of us, that, that's it. It's that level of challenge today, just to have the same attitude as Christ this week. But I just also want to give an opportunity for those for whom it's a bit deeper. That if you're honest, there needs to be some DNA resequencing. You're so deeply, kind of instinctively almost, driven towards trying to impress or trying to make things good for yourself. It's like it is instinctive. And you're saying, God, resequence my DNA, please. I want to have the same mindset. This can't be about me just trying my hardest for the rest of my life. Would you change my heart? And that's your cry today, a bit like me with my soul covenant. Then we want to just give an opportunity to pray for you in uh, just a moment.
Pierce my ear, a doulos moment. Pierce my ear, O Lord. I so love my master. I want to serve him for the rest of my life, come what may. A mere servant. That's all I wanted to say on my gravestone. I served my master well. Let's stand up together. So let's, each of us, just in a moment, I'd like you to hold out your hands if you're wanting to respond to this very personally. And I'm just going to ask the spirit of holiness to come. Not necessarily to give you nice feelings, but to truly bring this humble, gracious, sacrificial, self-emptying presence of Jesus into your life for the coming week. To displace some of that striving for control and significance. And so if, if, if you're just saying, yeah, Lord, I, I, want, I want to have the same attitude. I want to do nothing out of selfish ambition. Let's all just close our eyes. There's no pressure on anyone to feel they have to do this. Kind of respect you if you, if you feel, no, I, I just don't want to do this right now. I respect that. It's grace. You won't be any less loved by Jesus if you don't respond now. He, he, he's just besotted with you. But if you're saying, yeah, I want to, and just hold out your hands in front of you. Jesus, we're sorry for our selfishness. So simple, but it riddles our thinking and our feelings, our histories. We just don't want it to be the mark of our destiny too. And we just say to you, Lord Jesus, we so love you. We want to serve you. Would you fill us, spirit of holiness, with the very attitude of Christ? Make us humble. Make us those who give rather than get. Amen. So just as we sing together now, if you would like to just come and receive prayer, particularly around this thing of feeling it's a deeper work, I just, you know, you want something rewired in your thinking and your reflexes. Um, or it, uh, particularly as well, I think, for these people who, who are feeling this call to hiddenness, and it's really difficult. And you struggle to just really receive that you're valuable even when you're not visible. Um, then just, if you'd like to receive some prayer, just make your way down to the front here now. We'll pray for you. Others, you may just want to worship as an expression of your response now. But let's just respond.